well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome back to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad to be with you today. You know, uh, as I ended Monday's show, I said that uh, Tuesday we were going to try a little experiment with the program. And uh, I regret to inform you that that experiment was an abject failure, which is why there was no show yesterday. Um, Not trying to be like all secretive about it. Uh, You know, I moved from the northern Virginia suburbs about eight and a half years ago. And I love living in rural Virginia. It's there's really no other place that I'd well. Sometimes West Virginia looks pretty good, to be honest with you, considering the uh, politics of Virginia. But I love where I live. The only problem is my Internet, uh, let's just say that uh, it could be beat by a, uh, a carrier pigeon if you try to you know, transport information from point A to point B. Yeah, not good at the house. And so for the past eight and a half years, I have always had to do my show remotely, uh, not from my home. Well, we upgraded our Internet about a week ago. and. I decided that yesterday was going to be the day that we were going to try to do a show from the house, see if we could do it, and uh, never even got to the point where the internet factored in. Yeah, I had some other technical issues, so I'm going to spend this weekend trying this again. We're going to we're going to see if we can get this worked out. But in the meantime, I am glad to be back with you today. It is uh, good to be here. Uh, coming up on the program, we do have our uh, armed citizen story of the day, our recidivist report, as well as our uh, good deed of the day. But I, I want to focus on something actually outside of the world of the Second Amendment today. You have obviously seen the headlines on a daily basis. Violent crime is on the increase. Why aren't we having more gun control? U.S. Conference of Mayors yesterday held a press conference where mayors were uh, demanding that the Biden administration take immediate action on firearms, despite the fact that these mayors can do an awful lot themselves. Uh, And not every city around the country is actually seeing an increase in violent crime. Uh, These mayors are focusing like a laser on firearms and gun and gun related crimes when the issue is much bigger and broader than simply uh, violent crimes which firearms are used. We are seeing a number of categories of crimes increase across the country. And and I believe the media, first of all, is not paying a whole lot of attention to some of these crime categories. But I believe it is also an indication that it's not gun sales last year that have prompted uh, the rise in violent crime. Uh, Instead, it is a, I believe, uh, it is a growing culture of lawlessness that has been exacerbated by the COVID shutdowns. Uh, the uh, closing of courts in many places, the emptying out of uh, jails and prisons last year, uh, combined with a pullback by police in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the riots and the violence that we saw in many cities. And I think that this is continuing. Uh, For instance, last year, Traffic fatalities actually increased in the United States. People talk about violent crime going up. Traffic fatalities increased. Despite the fact that there were fewer miles driven by Americans last year, you know, a lot of us were staying at home for months on end because we were supposed to be working from home. So fewer cars on the road, fewer miles drive driven, I guess, and, uh, and yet more traffic fatalities, which to me is an indication. It's not like there were more cars sold last year. Not like, not like 2020 was a record year for car sales. Something else is going on. And we can look at drug overdose deaths as well. 
to see that the issue with rising crime is not confined uh, merely to uh, violent acts in which a firearm is used. Take a look at this headline from San Francisco. Fentanyl has changed the whole landscape. San Francisco faces worst drug epidemic ever. So far in San Francisco, there have been more than 250 drug overdose deaths between the months of January and April of this year. Uh, They are on pace for about 700 uh, overdose deaths in the city of San Francisco this year. That is far higher uh, than what we have seen in recent years. The uh, San Francisco uh, Chronicle, uh, writing about, excuse excuse me, this was uh, sfgate.com, writing about this earlier uh, in the week, highlighting the issues in the city. They say amid a drug epidemic fueled by fentanyl, 2021 is on track to be a record-breaking year for overdose deaths in San Francisco. Uh, 252 people dead from overdoses in San Francisco alone between uh, January through April of this year. 182 of those drug overdose deaths involved fentanyl. In the same time frame last year, 181 people died from overdoses. You've got counselors in San Francisco who are saying, look, you can't leave your home without being accosted by somebody wanting to sell you drugs right now. It's that bad. I mean, again, these are city supervisors in San Francisco. These are folks who are supposed to be, you know, proclaiming how great the city is. They're saying, "I I can't leave my house without being propositioned by somebody wanting to sell me drugs. Not just San Francisco. In the Washington, D.C. area, Washington Post reported uh, this was about uh, two weeks ago. Fatal opioid overdoses increased 46% in Washington, D.C. in 2020, despite a pre-pandemic pledge by D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser to cut opioid deaths in half between late 2018 and the fall of last year. Virginia, the deadliest year ever for opioid-related fatalities, with a 47% increase in 2020 compared to 2019. Maryland saw a nearly 19% jump in fatal overdoses involving opioids, according to preliminary data, with increases of 54, let's go ahead and round it up, 55% in Prince George's County, a D.C. suburb, an increase of 25% in Montgomery County, another D.C. suburb, and the problem is uh, even worse in Baltimore, uh, where over 800 overdose deaths were recorded in the city last year. 411 fatal drug overdoses, just opioid drug overdoses in Washington, D.C. in 2020, compared to 281 in 2019. In Ward 8, which is the uh, city's poorest section, uh, 74 drug overdose deaths in 2020, compared to 59 in 2019. Now, the Washington Post says the data illustrates the failure of a key component of the district's Live Long DC program. Launched in late 2018 after a Washington Post investigation found the city was slow to respond to an overdose crisis that primarily affected black men. In announcing the program, Bowser said the district would use a federal grant and other resources to significantly expand treatment, track, and education in the hopes of cutting overdose deaths in half within 21 months. I, I would argue that. You know, look, maybe that city program failed. But again, this is not just a problem that is happening in Washington, D.C., or in the D.C. suburbs, or in San Francisco, or in Baltimore. This is happening 
all around the country. Uh, Representative Rob Portman recently uh, visited the border, and uh, he wrote in an op-ed after he returned, more than 90,000 Americans died of overdoses between September 2019 and September 2020. By the way, there are about 16,000 homicides during that same time period. 90,000 drug overdose deaths. Overdose deaths rose by more than 27% in New York State, more than 24% in Ohio. And he says, based on current trends, we expect 2021 to be as bad, if not worse. Recent data by U.S. Customs and Border Protection shows a massive increase in seizures of fentanyl at the border. CBP has seized more than 600 pounds of fentanyl every month for the past 12 months. That is a record. In the last six months alone, it has seized 5,400 pounds of fentanyl, enough to kill 1.2 billion people or the entire population of the United States more than three times over. The six-month total is more than all of last year, and CBP believes the vast majority of drugs are getting in without being stopped. Now, Portman blames the Biden administration and its border policies, which may have something to do with it, considering uh, he's basically hung out the uh, we're open sign at the border and has encouraged, uh, I I would argue, both uh, illegal human trafficking as well as illegal drug trafficking. But but I don't even think all of this can be pinned on Joe Biden and his border policies. Uh, again, what we are seeing here, you'll you'll see the headlines from the media say, well, look, an increase in violent crime, increase in shootings and homicides. We've got to do something about the guns. Ignoring the similar increases in drug overdose deaths, ignoring the similar increases in traffic fatalities, ignoring the similar increases in other violent crimes that don't involve firearms. It is insane, I don't use that word lightly, but it is literally insane to look at what's going on with violent crime in this country and think, well, you know, what if we passed a background check bill, that would take care of things. No, it won't. In fact, no new gun control laws are going to deal with the increase in violent crime. What we have here is a dysfunctional criminal justice system. Now, that too is not new. Uh, I've been doing the recidivist report for almost two years now here on Bering Arms Cam and Company. Did it for many more years before that on uh, Cam and Company when I was working for NRA News and NRA TV. We've we've had these problems in the criminal justice system, but they have been greatly exacerbated uh, over the past year. Not only in the court system, but again in terms of policing. We cannot ban and arrest our way out of this problem. The idea of slapping another gun control law or two or three or six on the books and expecting that that is going to resolve the uh, the issue is silly. What we can do with law enforcement is to be proactive. Uh, the city of Austin, Texas, for instance, uh, recently cut millions of dollars from its budget that was dedicated to community policing. That, that's when officers you know, actually get to know individuals in communities. That, that helps. It makes individuals more likely to talk to the police when they see that a crime has occurred. makes them more likely to be willing to testify in open court, if need be, against a criminal defendant. And yet you've got cities that are pulling away from that type of proactive policing, saying instead, well, you know what we need to do? We need to send uh, drug counselors out there. We need to send uh, violence interrupters out there. Now, look, I believe that there is a place for violence intervention programs. I do, especially those that have been proven to be effective, those with a track record of success. I happen to believe that those programs work best in conjunction, however, with law enforcement. 
programs like Project Ceasefire that offer both a carrot and a stick to those individuals who are most likely to commit violent crimes and, by the way, most likely to be victimized as well. Programs like Project Ceasefire offer these individuals a way out. You need help getting your GED? Do you need some job training? What do you need? Let us help you put your life together. If you don't let us help you, well, then we're going to make you stop shooting another way. Because we're going to take your case, any case that we can, and we're going to move it to federal court. And you're not going to get a plea bargain. You're going to do 5, 10, 15, maybe 25, 30 years in a federal prison. And you're going to have to do 85% of your time before you're eligible for early release, unlike if you get convicted in a, a district court, the state level, and you get a day off of your sentence for every day that uh, you don't attack somebody behind bars. These programs aren't, aren't even new. Uh, Boston, Massachusetts put this uh, program in place back in the late 1990s and saw the juvenile homicide rate drop by more than 50%. Since then, Project Ceasefire has been replicated in cities around the country with similar successful results. It's not all stick. It's not all carrot. It is both community policing. I believe it is smart policing by focusing, again, on those most violent offenders. That, by the way, is the exact opposite of what gun control advocates want to do. They don't want to focus on violent offenders. They want to focus on legal gun owners. They want to cast that huge net over every legal gun owner in the country in the hopes of ensnaring a criminal or two. That's ridiculous. And by the way, if you're a Democrat, those policies lead to mass incarceration. Those policies lead to overcriminalization. Those policies lead to disparate impacts among minority communities. So I, I think if you're even if you're not a Second Amendment supporter, there are lots of reasons not to support the idea of uh, uh, more gun control laws being our road to safety. It's not the case. In cities like Cal or excuse me, uh, states like California, violent crime is up. Meanwhile, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma last year actually saw its homicide rate drop. A city uh, that is in a state that is constitutional carry. Adding more nonviolent possessory gun crimes to the books is not the answer. Not when the problem clearly goes beyond uh, violent crimes which firearms are committed. We have a crime problem in this country. I would argue we have a lawlessness problem in this country. And adding more laws to the books doesn't do anything to fix a broken criminal justice system. That's where our focus needs to be. I would also argue more mental health resources. That, I think, would help cut down not only on violent crime, but on overdose deaths. But again, these mayors, these anti-gun politicians, their focus is so myopic. It is only on the gun. And quite frankly, it is mostly on the guns that you and I and other responsible Americans own. And that's not a recipe for safety. That's a recipe for disaster. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the de uh, good, good deed of the deed. See, you take one day off, all of a sudden you forget how to talk. Good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We will start there, as a matter of fact, uh, with a uh, story out of Missouri, Cole County, where, yeah, I mean, there's the headline. Man sentenced to probation after shooting at a murder victim's funeral. That's right. A Jefferson City man, Pierre Starks, arrested in 2019, December of 2019, after reports of multiple shots fired at a church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, over the next 90 days, 
Oh, excuse me. Um, Stark said that uh, uh, during an interview, uh, he admitted to the uh, uh, shooting. Said he told officers that he fired two times uh, to break up a fight. Hmm. Okay. Well, as a result, Pierre Starks, shooting at a funeral, two years unsupervised probation. Yeah. In the next 90 days, he must complete 50 hours of community service as well. So, what's that? About a half hour a day? Should be easy enough to do. Now, look, I, I understand that Starks didn't hit anybody. Understand that Stark said he was trying to break up a fight by uh, firing those gunshots. He was convicted of unlawful use of a weapon, however. Same charge, by the way, that uh, Mark and Patricia McCloskey are facing for not pulling the trigger of the uh, inoperable firearms that they displayed as uh, protesters were uh, marching through their gated community on the way to protest outside of the mayor of St. Louis's house last summer. Yeah, unlawful use of a weapon and uh, a two-year probationary Sentence there for a Pierre Starks. Uh, our armed citizen story of the day from California, believe it or not. Uh, and I've actually got another armed story from uh, armed citizen story from California. Adburyandarms.com, a woman in Oakland, California, defending herself against a carjacking. A story that has received little local media attention uh, and virtually no national press whatsoever. I find kind of astounding given the scarcity of uh, concealed carry licensees in the Bay Area. Uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, this is a woman who was able to protect herself against a carjacking in a city where carjackings have doubled over the past year. I would have figured that would have gotten more press attention, but uh, I guess the armed citizen component of that story has uh, relegated it to uh, the back pages of the local newspaper. But down in uh, Long Beach, California, police say a, uh, a gunfight killed a 17-year-old Long Beach robber. Um, I, no, it wasn't the gunfight. It was it was an armed citizen. Cops say the shooting was okay defending the robbery victim. This is from uh, My News LA. Uh, and the incident happened uh, last month. Uh, officers arrived on the scene back on May 28th and found uh, 17-year-old Guillermo Mayorga III of Riverdale, Georgia. It's a long way away from Long Beach, California. But uh, Mayorga was there uh, in a hotel parking lot on May 28th, pronounced dead at the scene. Mayorga had an unidentified accomplice who was also wounded by the gunfire. The robbery victim, described as a male, found in a uh, hotel room with a gunshot wound to his upper body. Uh, police took him to a local hospital uh, with uh, stable vital signs. Preliminary investigation revealed that Mayorga attacked his victim in the parking lot while his accomplice joined in the robbery. Mayorga fired multiple rounds from a handgun, striking the robbery victim, as well as Mayorga's own accomplice, who then fled on foot. The fight continued between Mayorga and the robbery victim until a third person, described only as a man, became involved and then shot Mayorga. That man then fled the scene. Not because he wanted to get away from police, but uh, or for, uh, because he wanted to get away from the uh, the attack. He turned himself into Long Beach Police Department about uh, uh, 3 p.m. Uh, the next day, interviewed by detectives. And investigators determined that the man's actions were in defense of the original robbery victim which police said was corroborated by supporting evidence as well as video surveillance footage. Uh, the man was not arrested. Detectives planned to present the facts of the case to the uh, L.A. District Attorney's Office once their investigation is complete. Now, the one thing we don't know is whether or not that individual in Long Beach, California, possessed a valid carry permit in the state of California. You know, California has this may-issue system 
where the average citizen in many counties cannot obtain a concealed carry license because self-defense isn't seen as a valid reason to carry. So as a result, in a lot of coastal counties like L.A., the number of concealed carry licenses is uh, almost zero. Uh, I think in L.A. County, you're looking at less than 500 concealed carry licenses in a uh, county of, what, 10 million people? Uh, the Bay Area of San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, just as bad. You get out into the more rural counties uh, and, and even sort of, you know, the uh, Bakersfield area, things of that nature. Uh, the attitude among sheriffs generally changes. And self-defense is seen as a valid reason to obtain a concealed carry license. And those folks have basically a de facto shall issue policy. Well, again, that's not the case in L.A. County. So I am curious to see if that individual uh, lawfully was carrying that firearm. And frankly, whether or not it makes a difference. What will the L.A. DA's office do if this guy was not in possession of a valid carry permit from the state of California? Will they charge him with illegally carrying a gun, even though he acted in defense of another? Probably is the answer. But uh, we'll keep our eyes on this story, bring you any more details as they become available. And uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from Miami, Florida, where Good Samaritans jumped in to stop an elderly woman from being the victim of a uh, purse snatching or a backpack snatching. This was over the weekend. It's from uh, Local 10 in Miami. Police said the 74-year-old woman, who was a cancer patient, by the way, was sitting on a concrete bench when she was approached by the suspect, 46-year-old Eric Gospodarek, I believe is how you pronounce this guy's name. The victim told police that Gospodarek claimed, that's my bag, and then tried to grab the victim's backpack away from her. According to the police report, Gasparotic then pushed the 74-year-old woman backwards into bushes and began punching her in the shoulder with a closed fist as she continued holding on to her backpack. At this point, several witnesses and passerby saw what was happening, and they intervened, helping the victim, calling the police. Police say the victim did not have any visible injuries. Uh, she refused medical attention. Multiple uh, witnesses corroborated the victim's story. And uh, Gospodarek taken into custody. At first, by the way, police say that Gospodarek gave, uh, gave them an assumed name and a fake Social Security number, but they eventually figured out who he is. Now he's facing charges of attempted strong-arm robbery, battery on a person 65 or older, uh, as well as providing police with a false name after an arrest. I am really glad to see that uh, armed citizens jumped in uh, and did not allow this uh, attack on a 74-year-old cancer patient uh, to, to continue. Uh, so for all of those individuals in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, we thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Varian Arms, Cam & Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, we will be back tomorrow. We're not going to do any more experiments, I promise. We're going to save that for the weekend. We will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. And don't forget, by the way, uh, you can become a VIP member of BearingArms.com. That uh, not only gives you access to exclusive commentary and analysis, but it also helps fund things like Varian Arms, Cam & Company. Uh, it might even fund like a little bit of a tech support for me uh, so I can figure out some of these tech issues that I've been dealing with here. Anyway, we greatly appreciate your support. It does mean a lot to us. So thank you. If you want to become a VIP member, all you got to do is go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNS and you can get 25% off of your VIP membership. 
All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, don't forget to check out the website for more of the latest Second Amendment news and information throughout the day. And until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.